welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again. Glad you guys could be here. Hey, if you haven't clicked subscribe or follow yet, be sure you go ahead and do so. And if you like what you're hearing, be sure you leave me that five-star review. It goes a long way toward helping the podcast grow. We have an excellent show lined up today. The first segment today is going to be answering the age-old question of should dogs be allowed on furniture? Yes, I'm going to tell you the answer to that. Then we're going to have a segment on how to stop your dog from counter surfing. Does your dog go after food, grab things off the counters? We're going to talk about how to either head that behavior off so it never happens to begin with, or if you're already having some issues with that, we're going to talk about that as well. Then comes the Breed of the Week and the Listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for that Listener Q&A, you can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. But before we get going today, got to give you that trivia question. And today's question is, what animal are crocodiles most closely related to? Yes, what animal are crocodiles most closely related to? And I will give you the answer to that question in the podcast today. So stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, we're going to do a short segment on allowing dogs on furniture. It's the big debate, the big question. Should dogs be allowed on your bed and on furniture? And you know... In my house, I'll, well, we'll start there. In my home, dogs are allow, allowed on furniture, and they're allowed on my bed as well. But, <laughs> just as with everything in my house, there is rules, there is structure, there are boundaries. Okay? Now, with that said, um, the interesting thing is I have, obviously, a lot of dogs that come in and out of this house for training, and not everybody has the same preference for dogs on furniture. And the, the nice thing is we can actually implement that just fine. You know, we, we don't have any problems with teaching dogs that are not allowed to be on furniture to not be on furniture while my dogs remain on furniture. Now, it's a personal preference, guys. It's a personal preference. That's what it really comes down to is what I tell people. Should dogs be allowed on furniture or not? There, there is no yes or no answer to this because it depends upon you. It depends upon what you want to allow. Not everybody likes their dogs on furniture, and that's perfectly fine. Not everybody likes their dogs in a bed, in their beds. Also equally fine. There is no right or wrong on this. What I will say, <laughs> what I will say is, is your dog controlling your furniture is the question I'm going to ask you, right? Does your dog control the bed? Because if it's a controlling thing, then it's not even about your dog's being allowed to be on the furniture. It's about your dog's controlling you, right? So I see a lot of times where the couch can either become a safety blanket, a crutch, or, or it's something that they become possessive over. They start guarding the couch a bit. There's different ways that it can display. So, so really, kind of when it comes down to it is, if your dog is allowed on furniture, if they can handle it, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what it is. If your dog can come up on the couch when I ask them to come up, can they get off when I ask them to get off? Do they leap right up on your lap and crush your, <laughs> crush your, uh, your, your lap, your crotch, uh, as they jump right on you? Or do they come up and ask nicely and then jump up next to you? Those are more, the more important questions we have to ask versus should dogs be allowed on furniture or not? Because it's not that black and white. It's not. It's not an all or nothing kind of thing. 
But like I said, if your dog is controlling the furniture, then forget it. No, your dog should not be allowed on the couch. Uh, look, a couple months back, right? We had um, uh, two of my clients come on the show, Mark and Jess Grassi, and and one of the issues with their dogs, they allow their dogs on furniture. One dog had behavioral issues toward their uh, toward the husband, toward Mark, and one of them did not. Both dogs are allowed on furniture. Now, the dog that has the behavioral issues would lash out at Mark, would growl at him, would bark at him. And so the rule became for a little while, that dog is not allowed on the couch. And when we started training this, we'd pull him off the couch and he would go right back up. We'd pull him off the couch, he'd go right back up. We'd pull him off the couch, he'd go right. There's an obsessive issue with the couch, isn't there? So it's not a matter of the issue of should or shouldn't he be allowed on the couch. The issue becomes that dog is using that couch as a safety blanket. That dog feels like it can control everything when it's up on that couch. So again, it's not a matter of if or uh, should or shouldn't he. It's a matter of he's controlling the owners and that's not okay. He's using this couch as a form of control and that's not okay. All right. So again, on or off furniture, the, d- the debate's over, guys. The debate's over. I'm telling you right now. There, there is no debate. <laughs> that's why it's over. There is no debate because it's a personal rule. Okay. So you, you really, I really, you know, I I want you to do something. (laughs) I want you to do something tonight with your dog. I want you to try to go home and ask your dog to get off the couch when they're on there with you. See what they do. Do they get off willingly and walk away and go lay down? Or do they obsessively get back up over and 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 over? Because if they do that, uh-huh. There's something else going on there, guys. It's not just about getting up on the couch. Okay. So I said I was going to kind of make this short and sweet. We're not going to dive too far into this, but behavioral issues. So, you know, sim- simply put, behavioral issues can arise from allowing your dogs on furniture. Now, do I think it's because you allowed your dog on the couch that this behavioral issue came up? No. There's other factors playing into it, and that's what created the behavioral issue, but the couch is not helping. So again, for example, if I do have that dog who is possessive, who does lash out at one of the owners, who who gets off the couch and runs over, and then he gets you to go away, and then he runs back up on the couch, and for his, he got his little safety safe, his little safe zone, you know? If your dog does any of these things, then you need to fix it. <laughs> then it's not just your dog getting up on the couch. Okay. Um, look, another common one is the bedroom, the bedroom, the dog will be perfectly fine with everybody until they come in the bedroom and the dog's on the bed. And then he's got to get off the bed and everybody, your dog's not allowed on the bed anymore until he learns to deal with it. <laughs> okay. And then look, your dog is taking it to one extreme. So we kind of have to take it to the other extreme, right? He's obsessive and controlling over the bed or the couch or the whatever. Well, then guess what? He's not allowed on the couch or the bed or whatever. Then once he starts to give up on that control, then we can slowly try to start letting him back up. He starts controlling again. He's off that couch or bed again. He starts letting up again, slowly reintroduce it again. Okay. So what we'd start teaching our dog is I want you to, I'm going to reinforce and strengthen when you give up control of that couch. That's when you get your way and get back up on the couch. That's the behavior I want to strengthen and reinforce. But if your dog is giving you these, displaying these behaviors, guys, just letting them up on that piece of furniture is reinforcing that behavior. 
Yep. So while it's kind of a simple rule at the end of the day, or excuse me, a simple decision, should dogs or shouldn't dogs be allowed on furniture? The answer is it's up to you. It's at the same time, it's not that simplistic, (laughs) right? Because like I said, if there are behavioral issues going on that, that go with the couch, then we have to eliminate that stuff first before we can let them back on the couch and create balance. So uh, should or shouldn't up to you guys. It's up to you guys. But I can tell you right now, when I ask my dogs to get up, they get up. When I say get off, they get off. Uh, now Riker, he's a puppy. He's five months old. He's been allowed on the bed. He does so well with it, but occasionally, right? It's the end of the night. He knows he's going to go into the crate. He loves his crate. He does, but he wants to be up on the bed with us. And we need to have that healthy separation of the crate. So he'll jump up on the bed and I'll look at him and I'll go, Hey buddy, come on off. And he'll kind of look at me and go, "Mm, I'm going to try you, dad. (laughs) I don't want to go. And so then I'll just grab his collar very nicely, guide him off and say off. And then say, good boy. Once he gets off, say, go crate. He goes in the crate. I give him a treat. Okay. So you do have to teach your dog these things. Now, if I didn't tell Riker to stop that behavior, guys, if I let him defy me, if I let him control the bed like that, in one or two years, what do you think that behavior is going to look like? Probably isn't going to be better. <laughs> it's most likely going to be worse because that's the behavior I would have reinforced had I let him get away with that. Okay. So take control over your furniture, take control over your bed if you are going to allow your dog on your furniture, because quite frankly, there's nothing wrong with it as long as you have control. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Step on Speak a Dogcast, it's how to stop counter surfing. Definitely a common problem that I hear about often. And you know something? It's not just big dogs. <laughs> That's right. Little guys can be counter surfers too. You know, the big dogs, it's obviously easier for them. Put their hind legs, you know, jump up on their hind legs, put their feet up right on the counter, and boom, free meal. Little dogs, though, you'd be surprised. They find their way up there, whether it's through climbing on a chair or even some of them leaping straight up off the ground onto there. Uh, they, they'll, they'll do it. <laughs> so counter surfing is not a big dog exclusive issue, believe it or not. And it is something that some owners have to deal with. Now, the best way to avoid counter surfing, guys, I mean, look, we're, we're going we're to talk about a couple things with this today. Let's actually, let's start here. We're going to talk about a couple things with counter surfing. One, we're going to talk about how to get the dog to stop counter surfing once they already have. We're also going to talk about how to try to avoid counter surfing to begin with, uh, and maybe a few other things that go along with that as well. Okay. So I think we should actually start with the 
how to get dogs to not counter surf, right? How to, how to ensure that it never becomes a problem. And there's a handful of things here. We kind of have to run through this little short list, but honestly, guys, there's a handful of things to ensure your dog never counter surfs. Number one, don't ever feed them people food. Yeah. Don't ever feed them people food. I've talked about this before. Look, I, I have said it. Feeding your dog people food is a personal rule. Okay. It is. Now, you've heard my thoughts. If you haven't heard my thoughts, I will try to give it in a nutshell real quick. <laughs> Look, a lot of the food we eat is not very good for us. So imagine what that does to your little dog and its little digestive system compared to ours. Uh, dogs' digestive systems are not meant to tolerate the, the different wide variety of foods, the high level of sugars, high level of salt, high level of fat, all these different things that your dog is not designed to eat. So all other reasons aside... You shouldn't be feeding your dog people food for that, okay? Second thing, begging. I don't want my dogs to beg. I hate begging. It's one of my biggest pet peeves in the world. And if you don't want your dogs to beg, whether it be at you or your guests, then just don't feed them people food, guys. It's that simple. Now, again, to me, it's a personal rule. It's a personal rule if you really want to do this. So if you are going to feed your dog people food, I implore you to not associate it with the kitchen, not associate it with counters, only give your dog a, again, this is, this is my personal rules. I don't really think you should be, but if you're going to be giving your dogs people food, give it to them in small amounts, not very often, give it to them sparingly, and you're going to only give it to them in their food bowl. You're only going to give it to them when they're ignoring you and not paying attention. You're only going to give it to them if they're not coming in the kitchen, demanding something at you. Okay, the problem is, guys, the reason dogs end up countersurfing is because of one thing, and that's conditioning. It's conditioning. All training is, at the end of the day, is conditioning, right? And we condition and reinforce and strengthen that when a dog is in the kitchen, they get scraps. And when a dog is in the kitchen, I hand feed them. Or when a, you know, so they start associating very quickly, hey, food comes from that counter up there. I don't think I'm going to go check that out. Uh, and before you know it, you have a countersurfing dog. Okay. Your dog may never choose to countersurf. Maybe you're, maybe you're lucky. Maybe your dog never really, uh, desired that because they got enough out of just waiting for the food. <laughs> okay. Um, but again, to me, the best way to avoid countersurfing is to never feed your dog people food. And if you're going to feed them people food, you're not associating it with the kitchen. You're not associating it with you eating food, right? Like I said, your dog needs to be ignoring you in their food bowl after you're done eating, okay? If you're going to do it, at least do it right. You know, again, my recommendation is don't do it. <laughs> but if you're going to do it, at least feed your dog people food right if you're going to do it. I hate even saying it because I, I don't want to advocate feeding your dogs people food. All right, but let's move on from that. So another great way to head off counter surfing, guys, exercise and structure, exercise and discipline. I, you know, I, I say it all the time. I'm going to say it again. The title of the last episode was what it was. Uh, the answer is always dot, dot, dot. And of course, I'm just going to give you the answer of what I said last week. The answer is always more structure, more exercise. And what I meant by that was it doesn't matter what behavioral issue you're having. It doesn't matter if you have a puppy. It doesn't matter if you have a full grown adult dog. It doesn't matter if we have aggression issues or everything in between. The answer always starts with more structure and more exercise. Okay. So when I do walk into a house or let's say, let's say I've been working with a client for a little while and they feel like all of a sudden they're hitting this wall or maybe training's not going so well. And so I start asking questions and the first questions I like to ask are how long are the walks? How have the walks been going? What are the quality of the walks? 
that's where it starts. Because if we're not implementing proper structure and exercise to begin with, then your dog's going to get bored. Yeah. You know, most dogs that counter surf also actually eat other items in the house. Counter surfing is, is a common, um, it's a common behavior of dogs that are bored. Okay. Sometimes it is that, Hey, Fluffy got a piece of bacon and now he's just, you know, he, she, (laughs) whatever Fluffy is just craving it. And then they smell it on the counter and that's enough to create that behavior. Sure. But usually things like counter surfing will go hand in hand with dogs grabbing socks or items out of the closet or clothing pieces or, or things they shouldn't have. And so we either have an understimulated dog, a dog that lacks discipline, or maybe a dog who's trying to display some controlling behaviors. Okay. So there could be a couple different things going on when we have a counter surfing dog. It could be one thing, could be the other, could be a combination. Um, but but the very beginning is if you look, if you have a dog that counter surfs, you need to start with structure and exercise more of it. I don't care if you're already doing it, do more of it. <laughs> okay. And then of course there's the right and wrong way to do the walk. There's a right and a wrong way to implement structure guys. You know, I, I talked about it last week where something as simple as getting your dog to sit and stay at the door when you enter and exit, uh, sit and stay in and out of the crate, sit and stay for feeding time, sit and stay and wait with playing with a toy, implementing these, these little small um, you know, amounts of structure, he little piece here, a little piece there, a little piece here adds up to such a broader picture. And if we're talking about structure, you can almost visualize it. If I'm putting a little piece of structure here and a little piece of structure there and a little piece here, we're actually building a nice solid foundation and a solid structure as we go. Right. Think about that. If you can build little pieces of structure throughout your day, interacting with your dog, then it makes a much stronger, sturdier foundation and home to build, you know, and that's kind of how I look at it. And so it's no different when I'm in the kitchen and all of a sudden my dog's thinking about putting its nose toward the counter and I go, Hey, go on. Hey, go on, get out of here. Go on. Because I've already implemented structure. I've already implemented discipline. I've already, and the dog's like, yep, no worries. I'm going on now. (laughs) I'm walking away all because I implemented structure exercise. So look, I know we always go back to basics, but that's really what dog training comes down to. Now we, we have to go back to basics and then build off of it. Okay. So it's not just more structure, just more exercise. That's automatically going to make your dog stop jumping on the counters. (laughs) I mean, maybe, (laughs) maybe, but probably not enough because your dog has now formed a pattern and it's strengthened that pattern by getting away with it. And if a pattern becomes strengthened, then an animal is more likely to want to repeat that behavior. Okay. So We've talked about how to head this off, okay? More exercise, more discipline. Don't feed your dogs people food. Don't let your dogs associate food with you being in the kitchen, you eating food. We don't want any of that, okay? So the more you can do those things or not do do those things and not do those, uh, you know, the more you're setting yourself up for the likelihood that your dog won't become a counter surfer, okay? Um, Look, I, I have a rule with kitchens. I do. I have a rule with kitchens. Dogs are not allowed in them. (laughs) it's a pretty simple rule. Okay. And I've talked about this before, but we're going to, we're going to touch on it again. I don't think dogs should be in the kitchen. Uh, I just don't think the dogs should be in the kitchen. I just don't, uh, look, I'm the chef in my household. I'm the one who enjoys cooking and it, you don't want to turn around and trip over a dog. I mean, that's, that's the first thing. And there are a lot of times when we have 
well, I mean, I have four dogs of my own, right? If I had all four dogs in the kitchen with me, I would constantly be tripping over them and it'd be horrible. It'd be kind of a safety issue if you think about it, number one. Uh, but number two, what a pain in the neck. <laughs> you know, get out of my way. <laughs> I'm cooking here. Hey, when I get in that kitchen, sometimes I get serious. I get busy. I'm concentrating. I'm doing, you know, I'm doing a bunch of things. So I don't want to be having to look where I'm walking. I want to be able to just turn and go. Um, yeah, personal preference, but there you go. So that's the first thing. Oh, no, excuse me. That's another thing. I just, I don't allow dogs in kitchens. So I like to make an imaginary line. Now I'm lucky enough that it's easier for me in this house because I've got one way in one way out to my kitchen, right? It's one entrance, one exit. It's, it's blocked off the way the counters and the cabinets go. Um, so that makes it very easy for me to implement an imaginary line at the entrance of the kitchen. And I tell my dogs to stay. And anytime they come into the kitchen, I guide them away. Now I teach my dogs a go on command, right? Go on which means give me space. And a go on command is very easy to teach guys. It really is. All you have to do is push into your dog a little bit, like step into them and say, Hey, go on. If they take a couple steps backwards and move away from you, you say, good boy, reinforce it and give them a treat. Same thing. Push into them. Say, Hey, go on. Now I put a little hand motion to it. Kind of like, you know, pointing away from me, go on. Um, but that's it. That's all it takes. Pushing into them a little bit, you know, walking into them, not pushing in them, but walking into them getting them to back up and give you some space and then telling them you like it and reinforcing it. So that way, when I'm in the kitchen and for example, Riker, my new puppy, um, he's, he's phenomenal at this now. He's like, he's actually amazing. I actually had somebody over today, um, that was in the kitchen and he had come in from outside and hadn't met them, hadn't seen them yet. And the person was in the kitchen and he went to almost go walk in the kitchen, but he got to that imaginary line. He stopped dead in his tracks and sat down and looked at them and waited. Didn't beg for their attention, realized five seconds later, up, oh, they're not saying hi to me. Cool. I'm going to turn and walk away. Awesome. Like two couple things happened there. Number one, he knows the boundary of the kitchen didn't go in. Number two, he didn't really care that that person wasn't, he was, he wanted to say hi to the person he was excited to, but he wasn't overexcited to. He didn't need to say hi to that person. So a couple cool things going on there for a puppy. I like that. Uh, but anyway, it's easy to train that dog, uh, any dog, it's easy to train a dog that there is an imaginary line here. There's a boundary here and you're not allowed to cross it. Okay. Pretty simple stuff. Okay. If I've also taught my dog is stay when they get to that line, I can go, Hey, stay. And then say, Hey, good boy. Good stay. Now my, again, my, my personal rule, the dogs are allowed to lay right outside the kitchen. If they want, they can do that. Normally they'll do that for a few minutes and then kind of get bored and go play or go do something else or go lay elsewhere. Right. Um, so, to me, it's important to put that line in place. Now, what happens when you don't have a one-way-in, one-way-out kitchen? <laughs> it makes it a little harder, you know? It makes it a little more difficult. Uh, we actually had our old house had a kitchen with an island. And you could actually get to the kitchen from two different directions. You could come to it from like where our, our, our bedroom, guest bedrooms and everything was. And then you would walk through the kitchen from the guest bedrooms to get to the family room. And so, and then there was a little offshoot where the island was and you could walk around it. So what I did is I made it pretty simplistic. I, of course, I never allowed the dogs in that offshoot area behind the island and the walkthrough area. I just made sure that they understood you need to walk through. Like again, you want to, you want to go from here to there. That's fine. But you need to go on and keep moving. You don't lay down and stop in the kitchen. Okay. So same thing, a go on command and a stay command. That's how we teach our dogs to stay out of the kitchen. If they're counter surfers, this is very important. If they're counter surfers, they, they're, they, they can't be allowed in the kitchen. This isn't even a personal rule anymore. If you want to get your dog to stop counter surfing, they are no longer allowed in the kitchen. No ifs, ands, or buts. 
This is a period on this, okay? This is the end of the sentence here. Your dogs are not allowed in the kitchen, okay? Some dogs know how to deal with that, can be in the kitchen, and it's fine. And I, I, I hear people say it. They're like, well, we don't have a problem with it. They don't beg for food. They don't care. Cool. You know, to each his own. Like I said, it's a personal rule. But if your dog is countersurfing and you want them to stop, it's no longer a personal rule. You cannot allow that dog in the kitchen. Okay, so if you haven't worked on a stay command, if you haven't worked on a maybe a, a go on command, definitely want to get those working, get those down, get those under control so you can better communicate with your dog that what you want from them, what your expectations are. Now, how do we actually get them to stop going on the counter? You have to set them up to fail, guys. You do. You have to set them up to fail. Now, you can leash them up. That's one great way to do this. But you have to leave some food on the edge of the counter. Leave something enticing, but leave something that's obviously not going to be harmful for them. Something like maybe a small piece of cheese. Uh, a lot of times dogs love cheese. Maybe even just a small piece of lunch meat, because obviously meat is going to be very attractive to a dog. Um, but something that's not going to harm them if they do get it, but yet something that's going to be enticing. So what I'll do is I'll like I pretend like I'm making my lunch and leave the piece of meat right on the edge of the counter. And then I walk out of the kitchen and I turn the corner. And I make sure I go to an area where I can keep an eye on the kitchen very easily by just peeking around the corner. I wait for the dog to go into the kitchen. The second they start to even so much as think about putting that nose sniffing toward that meat, I'm going to walk in there and say, no, sharp. No, I do want to jolt them out of it. That's the idea. We can also pick up that leash and make a correction. Okay. We've talked about it with that martingale collar. I have no problem with that. Make a good correction, tell them no, guide them out of the kitchen, and then go back and try it again. Okay? The whole idea, guys, is going back to the rules of psychology. If you want a behavior to decrease, the only way to get it to decrease is to punish that behavior. Okay? So we can punish it multiple different ways. Number one, by not allowing them to get the food. That's a great form of punishment right there. They don't get anything out of it. They don't get the food. But then the second thing is going to be that good collar correction. Okay? Another thing could be that jolt. There have actually been studies done, you know, we're not going to get too into depth on this today, um, but the jolt side of it, you know, look, I've had some clients use air horns in the past where they'll sneak around the corner and the second the dog is going for it, boom, hit the air horn. Now it's going to scare the hell out of the dog. <laughs> it is, but that dog's probably never going to go for the meat again. Now, air horns, they sometimes can become used to the noise, so you have to be strategic if you're going to use something like that. Uh, I prefer to redirect with leash work and using collar corrections and things like that. And then when they do go away from the kitchen, when they do decide to walk away from the kitchen, you have to reinforce it with a good boy. When they do leave the food alone, you have to reinforce that behavior, okay? So the idea is, yeah, we have to punish or decrease the undesired behavior of jumping on the counter, and we have to be able to reinforce once they leave the counter, once they leave the food alone. It's important that not only we tell an animal the behaviors that we don't like, but it's just as important, if not more important sometimes, to tell the animal what we do like. Remember, positive reinforcement to me sort of means keep doing that, keep doing that. And I can't positively reinforce a behavior unless it's the desired behavior that we're looking for. Okay. So, Again, you know, to me, the best way to to stop counter surfing is to never have to deal with it to begin with. And the best way to do that, guys, is to not feed your dog people food. You don't want your dog associating people food as their food. And again, to me, just don't give it to them. It's the easiest way. Okay. Now, 
the other thing is, you know, we just don't want to be associating people food with the kitchen. So let's say, let's say you do, let's say you do give your dogs people food. I don't agree with it to each his own, but you've heard my thoughts. Let's say you do give your people, dogs, people food guys, at least do it the right way for me, right? At least do it for yourselves, for your dog, at least do it the right way. Uh, don't feed your dogs while you're in the kitchen. Don't feed your dogs while you're eating. Only feed your dogs the people food if you're going to put it in their food bowl. And please do it sparingly and not all the time. Please, I beg you. Feed stuff that's healthy for them. You know, you want to give a little piece of chicken here and there. You know, as long as it's not oversalted, whatever. A little piece here and there, once in a blue moon. Not going to kill them, uh, obviously. But just please, please be mindful of it. It's just, again, it kind of is like one of my little rules that eats at me. No people food for dogs. It's the best way to avoid the counter serving, okay? Um now, the other thing is exercise and structure. I know it sounds silly, but it's really true. Most dogs that counter surf are doing it out of boredom. Yeah, they're bored. So make sure you're giving your dogs proper exercise, proper stimulation. You're going for a proper walk. And of course, there is a slew of information in my podcast you guys can listen to about how to create stru uh, structure, how to create a proper walk, all that good stuff. Now, if your dog is one of those dogs that is already counter surfing, you're already dealing with this, you know, the first thing you have to do, guys, is make the kitchen a big no-no space. <laughs> yeah, they're not allowed in the kitchen anymore. Now, again, my dogs are not allowed in the kitchen to begin with for a slew of reasons, but if your dog is already counter surfing, we have to implement a new rule that they are not allowed in the kitchen at all. We can teach our dog a stay command, a go on command, and those two commands combined can help us establish where that boundary is. You need to make it very clear to your dog. No, no, no being kind of wishy-washy. You need to imagine an imaginary line. You need to decide where that imaginary line, where that imaginary boundary is going to be in your kitchen and make sure you're telling your dog to stay out of there and go on once they do cross that threshold, okay? Really important stuff. Now, we also have to set your dog up to fail if they're counter surfing. Leash them up set them up with a piece of meat on the corner of that counter and redirect them using some collar corrections. Of course, some people like to use the noisemakers, loud things to jolt them out. That jolt is important. Look, you can sneak around the corner and clap your hands really loud and say, no, nothing wrong with that either. Okay. That jolt is what's going to be very important to make them not want to sniff that counter again. Okay. So set them up to fail in order to teach them how to succeed. Once your dog gives up on the counter, if you can leave a piece of meat up there, walk out of the room and your dog looks at the meat and is like, uh-uh, I'm walking away, immediately walk in that room and praise them. Tell them, good boy, good girl. Strengthen and reinforce when your dog gives up on that food, when your dog gives up on the kitchen, when your dog walks away from the kitchen. It's so important that we reinforce and strengthen behaviors that we like. Look, as human beings, we're really good at focusing on the negative, or excuse me, the bad stuff, right? We are. We're really good at that. Um, and we're not so great on focusing on the desire, the good stuff. So make sure you're always praising your dog when you see behaviors you like, okay? Um, look, counter surfing can be a tricky thing to break. It can be because your dog's getting food. And once they get food, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if someone gave me chocolate cake for the first time and I ate it and then they're like, all right, you can't have chocolate cake anymore that'd be tough. <laughs> that'd be tough. So if your dog gets away with getting some yummy bacon or something like that, yes, this stuff does become a little more difficult to undo. 
Not impossible, though, with, with, with some hard work, some consistency in your training, being very black and white with your information, you can make some change, behavioral changes in this stuff really fast, okay? So I implore you, get out there, exercise and stimulate your dogs, give them good structure, set them up to fail if they already are countersurfing. And of course, the best way to avoid countersurfing, guys, is just never feeding your dogs people food from the get-go. So I highly encourage not feeding your dogs people food, and you can be on the right track to getting your dogs to stop countersurfing. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the German Short-Haired Pointer. The German Short-Haired Pointer is a member of the sporting group. Males come in weighing anywhere from 55 to 70 pounds, with females at 45 to 60 pounds. Friendly, intelligent, and easy to please, this energetic gun dog is a versatile breed that excels at being given a job. With more endurance and stamina than the average pup, this dog is not for every owner. Not given enough to do, they can become bored and destructive. They are known for their power, their speed, endurance, and enthusiasm. These dogs are going to do best on a farm and or just given a proper hunting job. German short-haired pointers are easily trainable, and they do love people. With a lot of training, stimulation, and care, they can make an excellent family dog, as they do love children as well. But with their high prey drive, it's best not to trust them around small animals. The German short hair pointer, they're a generally healthy dog, but as with all bigger dogs, owners should be aware of hip dysplasia. Eye and heart conditions can also be prevalent, so definitely something to keep an eye on. But kept in good health, they can live from 12 to 15 years. Now, the earliest signs of the German short hair pointer, well, they can be traced back to the 1700s. In Germany, perfecting the gun dog had already been underway for some time. And one of the early ancestors of the German short hair pointer is the German bird dog. This breed was created by crossing Spanish pointers and bloodhounds, and this was resulting in a powerful, hound-like dog with a really strong nose. The dog was then bred with other pointers from England to incorporate a little bit of elegance to the breed. Traits like being able to hunt and retrieve well on land and in water were also added, but it was not until the 1800s that the German short-haired pointer began to take its own shape. One German nobleman in particular took pride in breeding these dogs. Prince Albrecht Zuzoms Braunfeld of the Royal House of Hanover was given credit for focusing on traits that reflected function over aesthetic. Now, the result was a, a leaner, a faster, and really just an all-around more responsive hunting dog. The first known German short-haired pointer in, uh, imported to the United States was in 1925 by Dr. Charles Thornton of Montana. He began breeding the dogs, and only five years later, they were first recognized by the AKC. World War II did take its toll on the breed. At the end of the war, many breeders actually hid their dogs away, with many of them sending their dogs to other countries for safekeeping. A lot of these dogs were now, you know, at that point in countries behind the Iron Curtain, and Western European countries were faced with limited breeding stock. However, in the U.S., the breed began to flourish. Winning trials and competitions in the 1960s, they began to become a popular breed around the country, being recognized for their abilities and skills. And many people living in the country, in the mountains, they still use these incredible dogs today. And you know, one of my favorite German short-haired pointers is actually on the History Channel TV show, Mountain Men. Yes, Tom Orr from the Yak Valley in Montana, he's always out there with his amazing dog. Yes, the German short-haired pointer, Ellie. 
The answer to today's trivia question, what animal are crocodiles most closely related to? It's birds. Yes, crocodiles and birds share a common ancestor called the archosaur that lived around 240 million years ago. Now, this ancestor also gave rise to the dinosaurs. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Donnie from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Donnie says, I take my dog to the dog park two to three times a week, but I have a problem with him where he bolts into the park and he starts causing chaos among the other dogs. He'll bolt around and nip at them playfully, but he'll do it at any doggy that he passes, and it sometimes creates issues with other dogs that do not react well. He runs away at that point and wants nothing to do with it, but he instigates it. How do I get him to stop? So it sounds like what it probably is, Donnie, is the buildup of getting into the dog park. It's 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 sort of like, you know, I would have to guess. I, I, let's start here. I'd have to guess that going into the dog park from your car is probably a bit of overexcitement. Either your dog is just staring down the dog park and has no focus on you. Maybe he's pulling you toward the dog park. Maybe he's whining. Maybe he's jumping. Maybe there's any of these overexciting or unfocused behaviors or maybe too focused on the wrong thing um, that builds up to this problem you're having in the dog park. So really, it starts with how you let your dog out of the car. Now, you can go back and listen to one of my episodes titled Dog Parks, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Uh, I talk a little more in depth about how to get your dog into the dog park successfully. But really, suffice to say here, uh, Donnie, is you want to take your time. You don't want to let your dog out of the car if he's too overexcited. You want to make sure he's calm and relaxed, okay? The idea is that you want to take your time getting into the dog park, you don't want to be walking in there if your dog is overexcited because all you're doing is reinforcing that overexcitement. And by the time you let open the gate, you know, the gate of the of the dog park, it's like, you know, it just builds and builds and builds and then explodes. Um, so you need to settle all that overexcitement down. If you can, take your dog for a big walk before you go to the dog park, get them a little, ex- get them a little extra tired. Uh, but really, the way to solve this is to not let your dog into the park until he relaxes, until he calms down. Then once you do go into the park, Don't take him off leash. Keep your dog on leash for the first five, 10 minutes you're there. Walk him around the dog park in a controlled way. And you might be surprised just keeping that control, keeping that focus, slowing down his brain for five or 10 minutes and not allowing to accelerate. Then once you do take him off the leash, he probably won't be as apt to lose his mind. Next question. This comes from Tamara from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Tamara says, how do you feel about giving dogs pup cups? Now, this is an appropriate question for today because we kind of talked about people food a little bit and feeding dogs people food earlier in this episode, as well as I've talked about it before. And look, I'm going to keep this real simple for you, Tamara. No, I don't like them. (laughs) We shouldn't be feeding our dogs dairy and especially dairy and that much sugar. It's just not good for them. It's not good for their digestive systems. They cannot digest it easily or well. And really, you're just making your dog's stomach upset. So I can't stress it enough. Please don't feed your dogs pup cups. Personally, I think it's a bad thing. I really really do. There's so many treats out there, guys. How many treats are there out, you know, out available to you as a dog owner? There are so many different varieties of treats that are perfectly healthy and safe for your dogs. 
unlike whipped cream. Starbucks, if you're listening, can you stop this crap? If you want to feed dogs something, feed them a dog-friendly alternative. I don't know why this is so hard. I don't get it. Chick-fil-A gives milk bones to my dogs. That's amazing. Thank you, Chick-fil-A. Um, other establishments that give dog treats to your dogs. That's so fantastic. I have no problem with that. But feeding dogs whipped cream in a cup? Come on, guys. It, it's, a, it's a big pet peeve of mine. It is. Stop feeding your dogs these pup cups. Stop feeding your dogs things that just are not good for them. So, unfortunately, Tamar, no, I'm not on board with the pup cups. I don't like them, and I highly recommend you don't feed your dogs them. <laughs> That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you have any questions for that listener Q&A, being dog-related, training-related, animal-related, whatever, send it over my way. Questions at speakadogcast.com. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. Walk your dog.